Hello and welcome to The Transfer Window, the podcast that brings you the news before it becomes news. And not only that, we give you the best insight and analysis on all the issues that you want to talk about in world football. I'm very pleased to say that on our Wednesday edition, which of course is one of your favourites, your questions answered, uh, I'm joined by Duncan Castles, our transfer guru. Welcome to the programme, Duncan. Um, what's going on at Spurs? Well, um, I believe you've got some information on what's going on at Spurs. I think they, <laughs> they have uh, Tangate and Dombelli um, in London today for his medical, but I believe you have some information on a player who may be on his way out. Indeed. Of, uh, the naming rights uh, stadium. <laughs> naming rights stadium. Well, it's something we've spoken a lot about, Toby Alderweireld, and the fact that he is in the last year of his contract, which, of course, that has been um, triggered by Spurs. But he has a €28 million Euro release clause in that final year. Now, that release clause came into um, play on June 30th, which means any club who now match the €28 million Euros that um, the contract desires for him to be able to speak and negotiate with is now in play. You're not going to like to hear the Spurs fans, but one of the clubs who have expressed interest is North London rivals Arsenal. Um, this is a, a move that suits Arsenal. We know that they need defenders. Um, it's clear that their defensive lineup is poor and is not fit for purpose with regards to challenging um, on any particular platform, whether it's Europe or domestically. Um, my, my understanding is the information coming out of Arsenal is that this is not a, uh, a mischievous um, bid for Alderweireld. They are serious about it. Uh, Alderweireld himself is aware of the um, interest of Arsenal and of course, if they meet that 28 million euro release clause, then um, Spurs are duty bound and have no um, reason to stop the Belgian international from speaking to Arsenal. And in a repeat of what was one of the most acrimonious transfers in the history of the Premier League, when Saul Campbell made his freedom of contract move across North London to Arsenal and, of course, built himself a remarkable um, reputation on the back of uh, that move, one of the invincibles, of course, under Arsene Wenger, um, Alderweireld is very tempted to um, look at a, a career where he doesn't need to uproot his family, his, his life, because obviously his training grounds are quite close to each other and therefore um, moving to, well, to the Emirates would in one way be quite an easy thing for him to do. Uh, of course, it would not be easy in terms of what Spurs fans would think about that. But it's, I think, something, Duncan, which I think makes sense for Arsenal, given that their transfer budget, we understand, is less than €50 million Euros all in. I think the problem they're going to have with this is that they're offering to, not to pay up front, but to pay over the course of one year the €28 million Euros clause. Do you think that's something Daniel Levy would adhere to? Or would you think he would just basically say, well let's keep you on hold until such time that we get a better offer I think Daniel Levy will uh, certainly insist on the clause be paying paid in full to begin with um, whether he's prepared to negotiate 
that if they don't have an alternative uh, place to sell Alderweireld will be interesting. I don't think he'll want to lose the player for free, um, which will be the risk if he doesn't sell this summer. Um, he wasn't uh, absolutely a first choice for Tottenham last season um, because there was this perspective that the player wanted to leave. And uh, in fact, the player, I think, expected to, to leave the, the previous summer, but um, the necessary bid did not come in at that stage. Um, he's very lowly paid at Tottenham. Um, his uh, contract was worth less than £50,000 a week before bonuses, which is a, a fraction of his um, market value worth in terms of his performances in the Premier League um, and, and being one of the best centre-backs in the Premier League. It's, I find it an interesting, it's kind of a strategic move from Arsenal. You wouldn't really expect them to go for a player um, of that age. Uh, given that they really need to restructure the age balance of their squad. They've already got too many of their high earners above the age of 30. We talked about how um, Obama Yang might be sacrificed as a way of, of reducing their wage bill. But then on the other hand, um, they, they desperately need to improve in centre defence. It's been a priority area for them. They've been looking at targets for some time. One of those targets was um, Eric Bailly. Um, but... Uh, uh, it seemed that they could not um, get to the transfer, the kind of transfer levels that would be required to make a legitimate bid for Bailly without Champions League football, which they've missed out on. Um, but here you you have a player who, you know, in principle, you could double his wages and still be under the £100,000 a week mark. Would be a clear upgrade of what they have in defence at the moment. It's a set uh, transfer fee, okay, albeit you'd essentially be throwing that transfer fee away because you're unlikely to get a resale on a player um, of the age of 30 or a significant resale on a player in the age of 30. Um, so an interesting kind of tactical move by Arsenal to see whether they can put something in place and whether um, Tottenham are prepared to sacrifice the, the player um, at this time. So the strange um, story with Arsenal this summer, Duncan, is that um, there's been a much publicised um, uh, reporting that their transfer budget is limited to around £50 million. Uh, we've seen that they've already offered uh, staged payments for Kieran Tierney from Celtic. Also, um, they've offered, as we did discuss for Toby Alderweireld, uh, another case of staged payments. And yet, <clears throat> they expect to be able to go to Crystal Palace and offer... Um, £40 million for their best player in Wilfred Zaha when um, Manchester United have just um, effectively put down £47 million plus add-ons for Aaron Wan-Bissaka who's not Crystal Palace's best player. Now, my reading of this I and, and look, I'm being optimistic on the, the case of Arsenal fans' behalf here is that they must be expecting a major sale out of the club in order that they can make stroke reach um, the requirements of other clubs in terms of down payments for players, because you can't go into a market as Arsenal Football Club and uh, expect to, to sign the players of the quality that you're looking at um, with a budget of under £50 million. I agree. Um, they certainly have wanted that figure to be out there, that their the net transfer budget is £45 to £50 million. Pounds, so... Um, whatever they make from sales plus that 45 uh, to 50 million pounds. Um, 
their finances aren't in good shape. They, they made a profit last year um, once again, but um, that profit was based primarily on sales. And by, when I mean last year, I say for the 17-18 season. And they actually uh, reported a £52 million operating loss for that campaign. So they, they've been struggling financially, and the reason they've been struggling financially principally comes down to not qualifying for the Champions League. Um, this is the third consecutive season. They're also stalled in their commercial revenues, um, a bit like Manchester United. Um, they've barely increased those in the last few seasons, but obviously at much lower level than Manchester United to begin with. They still have significant repayments on the stadium to make and they really need to get into um, the Champions League again to, to sort the finances of the club out. Um, the message, and, and this is a, you know, an on-record message from the, the club's uh, kind of joint chief executives that they have now in Raul Sanyehi and the managing director, uh, Vinay Venkta Sharon, is that um, the Cronkies are giving them all the money um, that the club makes to spend uh, in the transfer market, and they're only constrained by financial fair play rules. There's, I think that's slightly disingenuous, given that the financial fair play rules in Premier League have actually changed for the coming season. Um, the Premier League has removed its um, short, what they call the short-term cost controls, which have been in place for the last six years. Um, and they... Essentially, they're, they're complicated, but the, the basic um, premise of them is you can only increase uh, your uh, wages to players um, by uh, seven million a year plus whatever um, new revenue the club generates. So it was a, it was a move to prevent the increased television revenue that the Premier League was paying going directly into player purchases and salaries and uh, limiting clubs to uh, kind of naturally generated revenue such as new commercial revenue or new money uh, from uh, gate receipts, uh, entertaining uh, corporate clients, etc. Those have been taken away now and uh, the Premier League has gone back to uh, its, its basic sustainability rules which allow a club to lose up to £105 million over a three-year period um, and not be penalised by the league for uh, running what, what would the league would categorise as an unsustainable budget. So that gives clubs a lot more headroom um, to uh, spend on players and wages than they've had in recent years. And it's... Um, I, th I think it's something that will help the mid-level clubs who, who'd found them kind of self-sandwiched in between the, the big earners who were taking lots of money from the Champions League and the clubs coming up from the Championship who were allowed to, were able to boost their wage bill by a large degree when they came into the Premier League and, and therefore able to outcompete for a um, certain level of players. So there's... Well, Arsenal still have to um, adhere to UEFA financial fair play rules, and on a domestic level, there is more headroom for them to, to buy players than they've had um, previously. Um, and perhaps that is an element in why they're uh, pushing for a player like Zaha on top of Kieran Tierney and uh, Alderweireld. Now, it's with our apologies that we haven't mentioned um by name, a lot of you guys who have um, messaged us with questions about Alderweireld and also specifically Arsenal as well. 
Saha. Um, so we apologize for that. However, as you know, we try to do our best to answer questions as best we can with regards to the latest information and also to give you that insight into what is going on and what's going to be happening next. However, I'm pleased to say that Sid the Whistle um, is messages to say, um, Duncan, someone close to your heart, I think, in terms of the conversations we've had in the last few weeks about um, certain players. And Sid says, are there not more clubs trying to buy Bruno Fernandes? A 70 million euro buyout. He's only 24. Hitting striker numbers from midfield. But at Manchester United are offering 35 million in a time when we so often hear 100 million being thrown around like it means nothing. Is there something wrong with Bruno? <laughs> Bruno Fernandes is a complicated case. Um, I think I think we described him as, described the, the Nico Gaetan ruse being used by Sporting to try and build the market for Fernandes. Um, I think it was last month we uh, reported this story. It might even have been the previous month that uh, that the the, the, the what had been presented as being a very close-to-done deal with Manchester City uh, for Fernandes from Sporting was actually nothing at all. There'd not even been a bid from City and they had no intention of uh, buying the player. And uh, it seemed Sporting had been putting that story out to try and generate a market for a player they want to sell this summer. Um, because he's done so well in the in the Portuguese league over the last season, um, as uh, our listener says, scoring striker-like numbers, setting uh, records for uh, goals scored by a midfielder. Um, He has a €100 million release clause in Sporting, but his situation is complicated in that, um, as we told you in the podcast some time ago, he did a side deal with Sporting last summer um, when he was entitled to tear up his contract because of uh, various problems there's been at the club. And that side deal said that he could leave for €35 million Euros this summer. And if uh, a bid came in for €35 million that Sporting did not want to accept, Sporting would have to pay him a £5 million uh, compensation. That's now come out in public. Um, the uh, sporting president, uh, Frederico Verandas, was uh, talking about Fernandez uh, last week and essentially said, uh, there's no way I'm going to sell this player for £35 million. If uh, we know his true value, if it comes down to that, we were, we're prepared to pay him £5 million, uh, to retain the player. Um, he has been marketed by his brother-in-law, who's his agent, to every top club in Europe. I am told that Sporting have yet to receive any significant offer for the player, not from Manchester United, not from Manchester City, not from Tottenham, from none of the clubs, not from Liverpool have also been strongly mentioned. They do not have an offer uh, of any significance for the player as yet. Certainly nothing near the €55 million Euros plus um, uh, performance-related variables that they've told um, his uh, brother-in-law and agent that they would be prepared to sell the player for. So I think you have a situation where uh, you've got a player whose numbers look exceptionally good, um, but his numbers might be quite deceptive in that he's kind of a maverick midfielder. He's a, a player who likes to shoot and goal um, wherever he has the, the, the chance to do so. He's very goal-oriented and that that should be a good thing. But if it doesn't fit into your team plan, 
doesn't fit into your structure. And remember, he scored all these goals for Sporting in the Portuguese league last season, but Sporting did not have a good season in terms of uh, performances and being competitive for the title. So you have to ask yourself then, is that down to the players around him or is that down to him having uh, an exceptional role in a not particularly good team? I think when we first talked about Bruno, I mentioned that uh, one of the the scouts, uh, recruitment specialists I trust in European football, his view of, of Bruno was very good player, but not a player of the very top teams in the Champions League. So... If you're talking 55 million plus bonuses as, a, as an asking price, then there aren't really that many clubs um, who can afford to do that, who aren't top tier Champions League sides. Um, he has experience in Italy and there is a sense that for in Portugal that perhaps his most likely buyer is going to end up being Internazionale, who do have an interest in the player. Again, um, Inter... Uh, they do have money to spend. They have Antonio Conte, who has gone to the club on the basis that he will be allowed a aggressive overhaul of the squad. Um, he is the appointment of the chief executive who overruled uh, the owner's wishes in terms of um, who they should be trying to appoint to put Conte in place. So the chief executive has got a lot invested in Conte's success. So they will try and manufacture deals. Um, I think you've seen that they're trying to manufacture a deal for Romelu Lukaku in which they um, will... Uh, take the player initially on loan, uh, paying a loan fee for the first two years to Manchester United and then with an obligatory purchase in two years' time um, to where they would uh, get the transfer fee up to the levels that Manchester United want immediately to sell them. So they're trying to do clever things there. Whether they've got the wherewithal um, to do all of these things and bring Bruno Fernandes, we'll see. But the feeling in Portugal at present is that that's his most likely destination. There is, according to Sporting, um, an interest from Manchester United. They say Manchester United have been in touch with them. Um, they also say they haven't had a, a, a bid as yet. He is on Manchester United's list. Um, but then, as we've said in the podcast several times, there are a lot of midfielders on Manchester United's list of potential recruits. And what they do in terms of purchasing is dependent on what happens with Paul Pogba, um, whether they, they can retain him or not, or whether he gets his wish to go to Real Madrid this summer. I've got a lot of sympathy for, um, well, I'll say the clubs, not really, but um, you know, having dealt with brother-in-laws and mother-in-laws and milkmen twice removed cousins with regards to transfers in football, it's, um, it's all become a little bit murky and um, and unusual in recent times with regards to the kind of family members who uh, lay a stake into a particular player. So um, I sense that Bruno Fernandes' career has been, or is being held up, um, and we've mentioned this before, by the fact that his brother-in-law is not actually capable of conducting a negotiation of this scale to one of the um, bigger clubs in European football. However, he remains, as um, our listener said, said to whistle, someone who clearly has a lot of talent. He's recording an incredible goal screen record uh, in terms of his position. And it does seem to me that he's a player who's ideally suited to the Premier League because um, that kind of box-to-box scored midfielder is someone who I think we've got templates for in the likes of Gerrard and Lampard um, in terms of their succeeding 
in uh, recent years as well. Uh, so yeah, it'll be it'll be interesting if he ends up at Inter, Duncan. But it's one that we will obviously uh, deliver the news to everyone first on that. Got another interesting one now here um, from DMAC, DMAC Arena, at his Twitter handle. Um, as I said before, obviously you don't have to praise us um, in terms of telling us how great we are. We do appreciate it though. And in DMAC's case, he said, five stars, Duncan Castles and at Garbo SJ. Question, has a sudden influx of cash plus transfers arisen from within Serie A Considering there's a lack of stadium ownership and thus ability to reap the profits there with Juve, where does that leave it? Now, Duncan, it occurred to me, obviously, Adrian Rabio completed his move to Juventus um, this week um, with the help of his mum, going back to the family connections. Um, Aaron Ramsey has done the same thing on freedom of contract. Juve, to me, are very, very stealthy and you know, very clever operators to get two players... In, on freedom of contract, okay, on big contracts in terms of their salary, but two very, very good players um, already without fees being paid. And so the whole thing about, for me, you know, the idea that um, Pogba would go back there seems nonsense compared to what they did the business they've done. Yeah, I think, um, I think with Pogba, a lot of that noise is being generated by um, our favourite uh, international agent, Mino Raiola, um, because... If when you're trying to get Real Madrid to sign your player, it always helps to have a competitor apparently involved, um, especially when you're negotiating um, salary upgrades and uh, and other other factors in the deal club to club. Um, you're right; it doesn't make a great deal of sense to have taken Ramsey and Rabio as um, as improvements for your midfield, and then to add Pogba into that equation, given their their midfields already. Um, a strong one. Um, there has Juventus. If you ask Juventus, they will say yes. Of course, we are interested in taking Paul Pogba back. Um, I think that has a lot of a public relations element to it because it doesn't look good to say that they're not interested in taking back a player whose best years were at the their club. Um, and they, you know, Juventus want to sell themselves as a as a European powerhouse, as a club that can compete for the very best, as they did by taking Cristiano Ronaldo there last summer. So again, um, no harm for them to be associated with that conversation. In terms of why Italy is becoming um, a factor in terms of in, in transfers, again, and um, we see that Mino Raiola has um, agreed financial terms with Juventus, for Matthias de Ligt, um, essentially the most desirable uh, defensive uh, product, if you like, on the transfer market this summer, um, is because uh, there is a new uh, tax law in Italy, which has given the Serie A clubs um, a significant advantage over their European competitors. It's part of a, a decree for growth that the Italian government has set out and it was um, with, with a bit of, uh, bit of uh, last-minute um, adjustment. It's been voted into effect, I think, at the end of last month and will, will come into effect on salaries from the 1st of January next year. It's, um, it's purely for uh, work, foreign workers coming into Italy for the first time. Um, 
you can check my Italian pronunciation here, Ian, because I know you speak the language. Um, lavor, lavoratori in patria. Lavoratori, si. Bene. So, foreign workers coming into the country now get a 50% tax break on their salaries for the first five years in Italy. So, the top rate of what this effectively means is the top rate of tax in Italy is 43%. If you're a footballer coming to sign for Juventus, Inter, or any of the other uh, major clubs there, you will only be paying 21.5% um, as a top rate of tax for the first five years in Italy. Now, compare that with Spain and uh, United Kingdom, where the top rate of tax is 45%. And that gives the Italian clubs a significant advantage in terms of being able to pay higher net salaries, which is what every um, uh, agent of Minerals cal calibre will um, assess his contract and demand a contract on the basis of. So they can pay higher net salaries than their competitors now, which allows them to take players like Ramsey um, to offer him a much bigger deal than Arsenal were able to offer him, to take a player like Rabio, who again was on the open market, no transfer fee, uh, demands for very significant wages. I, I believe he was looking for 10 million net as a wage. Um, and someone like De Ligt, uh, where we've you know we detailed how uh, De Ligt had an agreement with Barcelona to come there. Barcelona thought they had the player, were ready to pay Ajax's transfer fee, but um, they felt the 9 million net salary that they'd agreed with De Ligt, the same level as Frankie de Jong, was as high as they could go. Um, Raiola, as is his way, um, used Manchester United and Paris Saint-Germain and then Juventus to uh, get a higher salary, asking for 14 million net um, from at least one of those clubs um, and uh, eventually settling on the deal he could get at Juventus. Cost Juventus of paying that 14 million, 12 million net salary to the lift is significantly less than it would have been to Barcelona. So the player, they can get the player cheaper. Um, and this is going to be a factor in the market and maybe... Uh, in the end, a, a factor in, in the previous listener's question about Bruno Fernandes and the Inter um, will be able to uh, secure him on a cheaper salary basis than any English club, for example, or certainly any French club where the, the, the top rate of tax is even higher, uh, could could manage to pay him. And indeed, Duncan Rommel Lukaku has moved to Inter is inching closer with regards to the possibility of being taken on loan for at least one season um, to enter. But obviously the salary difficulty with regards to um, what he's paid at Manchester United and what he can buy into Milan um, will be, I think, obviously indemnified by that particular tax law. Uh, I think also we've got to factor in um, the uh, wonderful friend of the Transfer Window podcast, Cristiano Ronaldo, who we know has had his tax problems in the past in Spain. And um, hopefully... Uh, Cristiano will be benefiting from these new rules the same way that Duncan and I will obviously be lodging our bank accounts in Turin from now on uh, for the payments that we get for our Transwindow podcasts <laughs> and, and paying ourselves 21% tax rather than 45% on our 50 pence a podcast salary. Uh, so I, I, wish, I wish I was on the top rate of tax, Ian, unfortunately. I've never been there. That 50 pence just doesn't, doesn't apply to you, does it, Duncan? No, no me either. Never mind. We'll get there eventually. Uh, so uh, thank you very much for that question, um, uh, DMAC. Um, very interesting because obviously these things do have a huge effect 
on the market and indeed um, on the, the way that players make decisions regarding where their destination is. We're going to move on to a very interesting one, which we kind of touched, um, sort of flagged up last week. This comes from, it's a, a very interesting Twitter handle, DOF is a waste of time FC. I think it refers to Manchester United at Iconic 7. Hi, Duncan. Ratcliffe, this is Jim Ratcliffe, obviously, the one of the richest men in the UK. Nice's takeover is a done deal or not. Please reply. Hashtag Glazers out. Duncan, any news on um, what's happening at Nice? Yes, um, there was a meeting, I believe, at the weekend between um, uh, Ratcliffe's representatives and uh, the current owners of Nice um, about that takeover. Um, the deal has not been completed. I'm told that the asking price uh, for Nice has gone up from the um, what was the initial expectation of 100 million euros to 130 million euros. So no agreement on that deal as yet. And you can understand why, because although Nice comes with um, a good training ground and a ready-built stadium, and um, I think the Ratcliffe's are on record as, as, as talking about how that is of interest to them, um, 130 million euros is a, a large sum of money for a not particularly well-supported club uh, in the French League, which um, you really can't see um, ever competing for the title as long as Paris Saint-Germain are uh, owned by Qatar and uh, bankrolled in the way they have been bankrolled. Um, I think the, from what I understand, the discussions are ongoing. The interest uh, remains in the club. Um, as we talked about uh, when when we discussed uh, Ratcliffe's um, intention to buy Nice, uh, it does not seem to be the end of the road in terms of their um, desire to be involved with football. They already have a club in Switzerland. Um, that Nice was, uh, I, as it was explained to me, was a kind of a second stage of their entry into football. Um, a, a larger stage uh, in one of the top European leagues with a bigger club, uh, apply and learn um, strategies and tactics with the end goal to buy a club in the Premier League. And of course, there have been discussions um, with Chelsea about buying that stake from uh, Roman Abramovich. Ratcliffe uh, is a Manchester United fan. There is a possibility that he could go for Manchester United down the line. Um, and we believe he's had a look at that potential purchase. Um, people close to him say he has the money uh, and the wherewithal to go to that kind of level of takeover down the line. So, bringing to an end today's Your Questions Answered is obviously the um, legendary Donkey Awards um, for this week. We're pleased that um, our very, very capable and clever um, friend Matt Aldous has created new graphics. Please check them out, please, on social media uh, with regards to um, the Donkey Awards. You'll see Duncan sitting proudly atop um, his new statue. And these are the ones that we do send out, we promise you, to everyone who actually wins a Donkey Award. Um, I'm also, also exceptionally exceptionally pleased and entertained to say that the return of Kaiser Duck, Johnny McFarlane, for those of you who remember um, him as our um, presenter and brother of the podcast, um, has given us this 
week's Donkey Awards category. Now, this is also very um, uh, significant, Dun uh, Duncan, because we did tweet earlier, didn't we, that it, the donkeys were kind of Johnny's baby. They were his uh, thing that he, he wanted to promote. And so his legacy is the Donkey Awards. And when we tweeted out that we wanted people to try and give us new ideas for the donkeys, Johnny McFarlane comes up with three straight away. He does, yes. And I, did you call it the Donkey Award there? I think that's actually a more appropriate name. <laughs> it, is, it is with the one I'm about to announce, that's for sure. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, I, get to, I also get to tell a nice little anecdote, which um, I'm sure all of you will be um, absolutely thrilled to hear, because this is the Peter Van Hoydonk Award for Transfer Agitation on a Grand Scale. Um, I happened to be working at Evening Times at the time when Pierre van Hoydonk discussed his pay uh, offer of an upgrade in his contract with Celtic as something that even the homeless would turn down. Uh, and I wrote a column for the then Glasgow Evening Times um, condemning him for his disrespect with regards to um, Celtic's uh, obvious foundations under Brother Walford uh, to help out the poor of um, Glasgow, etc., etc. Van Hoydonk's response to this was, after a one midweek game, he was wearing a full-length white leather um, jacket, uh, or sorry, coat, I should say, which he said to me had been designed uh, by a very famous Italian designer. And he shouted across the um, concourse of Celtic's um, uh, entryway, you cannot afford this jacket, McGarry, to which I replied, I would not buy that jacket even if I had the money to buy it, Pierre. So, this is a Pierre Van Hoydonk Award for transfer agitation on a grand scale and very bad white leather coats. Um, Duncan, I'm going to give you um, the three nominations once I open the white leather envelope, in this case, to honour the great <laughs> Van Hoydonk. And there it is. So, the first of our nominations in this Pierre Van Hoydonk Award is Wilfred Zaha, a very topical one for a man who seems to be, according to his brother, and how often is it, Duncan, that you see a brother putting a statement out saying this would be the realisation of a dream for Wilfred to become a, an Arsenal player um, and move from Crystal Palace across London. The second is uh, Paul Pogba, who, as we know, uh, gave that now infamous interview in Tokyo whereby he declared himself ready for a new challenge, went away from Manchester United. And of course, probably one of our greatest Donkey Award nominations in terms of the his history of the award, as well as being nominated on several occasions, uh, Neymar Jr. for agitating for a move away from Paris Saint-Germain, where he earns half a million pounds per week. But apparently that's not quite enough or it's not satisfying him, so he wants to move somewhere else. Duncan, I throw it over to you to present this week's newly graphic Duncan Award, complete with the, um, let's just say, very fetching image of your head atop that trophy. <laughs> well, I think some of our listeners have heard the Van Hoydonk story before, but the, the white leather envelope... No, they stop. haven't. It's not I true. I think it's worth it's worth it's worth leaving it in there for repetition purposes. Um, the candidates Zaha, 
you have to give him bonus points for bringing his brother in, into the equation so early. That is one I haven't seen before. Um, you don't want the, the quote to come from yourself. You don't want the quote to come from the agent. So let's take in a family member to say how he should be um, to sing, please release my brother, let him go. Do, do, um, you, do you think that we'll soon see Neymar's sister saying similar things about him? That is the question. I think I think Neymar's too much of a professional in this area to bring his, his family in, into the equation and, and securing and agitating for a transfer. Uh, I think we have more to see from from uh, from Neymar in that regard. Um, in fact, uh, we told you that Barcelona have asked him to, to make it publicly clear that he wants to leave as a condition of, uh, of uh, getting that transfer through with Paris Saint-Germain. And, and I think if there's one area in which um, Neymar is truly world-class, it is agitating for, uh, for transfers. But I, I'm going to give this one to, to Paul Pogba, uh, joint award with Mino Raiola, because I believe they have something very special still to come. I think they're just warming up uh, for this one. And any, any agent um, who can offer his player uh, across town to Manchester City uh, and uh, uh, when Manchester United compete directly with them for the Premier League title. Uh, any agent capable of doing that in order to try and secure his uh, client a move um, out of a club, he has some proper tactics on the way so they get that um, rather uh, dubious looking award this week. Well, we'll be sending that award to um Paul and Tamino, obviously, along with a doubly stagione for um, Duncan's um, <laughs> recognition of them as a double act. Maybe the Doobie Brothers might have something to say about that, but um, let's just wait and see. It is with much, much delight that uh, I can say that we're going to bring this particular podcast to a close in the sense that I think we've done very well in answering your questions and that we would like you to continue to do it with us on our social media um, platforms at Transfer Podcast on Twitter uh, to continue the debate with Duncan and I personally. It's at Duncan Castles and Mike Garbo SJ. Um, if you like what you hear, and we know thousands of you do, in fact, we can um, exclusively reveal that we are nearing 1 million listens, people. 1 million listens on the Transfer Window podcast since its inception. So we'd like to thank you and congratulate you for your good taste in uh, sticking with us and indeed uh, enlarging our community of engagement with regards to this great debate that we have three times a week. So please get onto iTunes, give us a five-star review. It will help to do that even more so. Um, and we'd love to hear from all of you, as you know. We will be back on Friday um, for more transfer news, debate. Uh, and remember, you always hear the news here first before it becomes news. And that's the kind of service that you get for not even having to pay. It's free to all of you. Um, even with the tax rate in Italy being reduced, we still hope that that's going to be um, something we can continue to do. Uh, we shall see you through the transfer window on Friday. As for now, thanks for listening and goodbye. <laughs>